from training to performing, join our Big League Conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy. Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 68. We've got an awesome guest, one of the best mental skills coaches on the planet right now, someone who blew my mind on one of our staff calls, and after we did it, I absolutely had to get him. Um, He's got a great book out that I just finished up with some excellent insights, so there's lots of good stuff out there for players, coaches, and parents alike. Um, something that can really help you on the mental aspect of the game. I should note that the the language on this episode is less PG than it typically is on this podcast. Um, I opted not to edit it out because I do think it's something that he uses to make um, his points even more compelling. But just a heads up that there will be some swears in here, so please plan accordingly. I think you're really going to like the show regardless. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. It's an all-in-one superfood supplement with 75 whole food sourced ingredients to support your body's nutritional needs across five critical areas. Energy, immunity, gut health, hormonal support, and healthy aging. I'm an avid user of Athletic Greens myself in spite of the fact that I tend to be a supplement minimalist. To me, this is a product that is much more like whole food nutritional insurance as opposed to a true supplement. The ingredients have been carefully selected at the highest quality, most natural source. You've got essential vitamins and minerals, digestive enzymes, prebiotics, probiotics, and that's the zero compromise approach from the company. It's plant-based, sourced from whole foods at the highest quality, so you won't find harmful chemicals, artificial colors or flavors, preservatives or added sugar. Um, really, it's perfect for folks who are gluten and dairy-free, paleo, keto, vegan-friendly, um, great for people who are intermittent fasting, all that fun stuff. Um, personally, I love it for, for obviously, our athletes who don't get enough nutritional uh, benefits from fruits and vegetables because they don't eat enough. So it's a way to kind of plug in holes in diets. But also, I really like it for our college and professional athletes who may have complex travel schedules where quality food options aren't always at hand. Um, on a personal level, I'm a husband, father of three, and an entrepreneur. Um, we split our time between two states, and, and I'm also still an avid lifter. Um, so life is inherently crazy, and it can be stressful, and sleep deprivation is definitely something that we encounter. So I rely on Athletic Greens uh, for part of my immune support and believe firmly that it's, it's made a big difference in keeping me healthy in spite of how crazy our lifestyle is. Um, they've got a great offer in place. If you head to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, They'll get you 20 free travel packets with your purchase. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y, and you can claim your special offer. Today's guest is a renowned mental conditioning expert and strategic advisor to some of the world's most elite performers. He's well known for being the mental coach to Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson and has worked closely with prestigious NCAA football programs and coaches, including Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, and Jimbo Fisher. He's been part of eight national championship games. Additionally, he continues to support the U.S. Special Operations Community, MLB, the NBA, UFC, and many other elite professionals. In 2017, he was named the sports world's best brain trainer by Sports Illustrated. He recently partnered with Russell Wilson to form Limitless Minds, a company whose mission is to provide both optimum performance and enriched culture within some of the world's top organizations and elite performers. Prior to starting his own mental conditioning company, he had leadership roles at both IMG and Athletes Performance, now Exos. He was raised in Washington State and is the son of the world-renowned peak performance educator, the late Bob Moad. 
Bob was an original contributor to the Chicken Soup for the Soul and is the former president of the National Association for Self-Esteem. He was a two-sport athlete at Occidental College, where he received both his bachelor's degree in politics and his master's degree in education. Please welcome to the show, Trevor Moad. Welcome to the show, Trevor. Eric, it's a pleasure to be joining you from Lake Arrowhead, and I know you're in New York, so pretty cool uh, the uh, the way technology works. Yeah, I was going to say we've a lot more of this uh, this technology from afar in, in today's world, unfortunately. So hopefully we'll have a chance to get people back together in the same room here sooner and later. Um, yes. But what what was nice about this 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 all came about because. You came on a call. Uh, it was set up by a mutual friend, Chad. Chad's a, a rock star with us. And we did a staff call and you blew not just me, but our entire staff away. Um, and I, I got off the call. I'm like, I got to get him on the podcast. Yeah. And the, the message that, that resounded with me the most was you made a comment about unconditional positivity being a terrible strategy. And it really rang true with me as it's, you know, it's really in stark contrast with a lot of what we've been fed over the years and, and probably one of the reasons why some people still don't buy in on, you know, mental skills coaches and things like that. So talk to me a little about where your, your perspective on, you know, unconditional positivity, not necessarily being a great option began, how it's unfolded in your, in your work with athletes. So maybe start by what's, what's wrong with positive thinking? Well, you know, having a good understanding of just human performance in general, you know, I think truthfully the, the bar, uh, for sports psychology, mental conditioning is really low. And I, I don't think that's because, um, you, you know, you can't get, um, you know, capable people involved. I just think that the, uh, and the nature of the industry, <clears throat> you know, not to go inside baseball here, but, um, it just, it, it just hasn't been explored. It hasn't been utilized. It hasn't really been, um, uh, codified in a way that, makes it clear to the consumer, you know, what he or she or the organization, sports, business, military is looking for. And, um, you know, you go to the best college, uh, you know, to study sports psychology, but if the professors, you know, never worked with any teams or organizations or athletes, you know, what can they teach you? Mm -hmm. And and so I think that the the bar has been low for a really long time. I think in the business world, uh, probably, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, there's, there's, you know, we found some maturity in it. And then obviously you have, you know, Jack Stark and different guys, um, and, 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 and females, Colleen Hacker, you know, who found a way in U.S. women's soccer or Nebraska football. But I think in general, it's just an industry that, that, you know, um, is just pretty shitty and not because of, uh, the intent. It's just because nobody's really, you know, figured out, uh, what works and, the idea of unconditional positivity, um, I just think for whatever reason, uh, you know, what's found its hold in the industry is meditation, breathing, mindfulness, and always going to the default state of being positive and being raised by a father who was, you know, very successful in the business world, but also worked with UCLA basketball, UNLV basketball, um, you know, a, a lot of great, the Seattle Supersonics. A lot of great organizations, um, in addition to Boeing, NASA, Starbucks, IBM, Coca-Cola, um, and really found a, a, a system. Um, I just think that, uh, that, you know, when, when being a part of it, growing up in it, being aware of it, um, when you're told constantly, uh, to, to, to go to a place 
that doesn't feel natural or organic or you can't get to in the speed you're being asked to, uh, I think it's it, it's really made the industry, um, you know, uh, fuck, man, for lack of a better word, just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, no no landing place. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Did, was that something you had to almost correct to? Like, you had obviously been around the positivity message, like, earlier in your life. Was it was it a hard thing to come to the realization that maybe that wasn't the best play, or was it something that, that, that came seemingly flawlessly or naturally to you? Well, you know, I, I think... I have incredible empathy, you know, like, you know, I know like a couple of years, you know, uh, last year when I got in front of, you know, major league organization that I was going to spend 40 days with, um, you know, I know when the GM introduces me that everybody is sitting there saying, uh, you know, when's this guy going to shut the fuck up? <laughs> like, I know that and I don't take it personally because that's more of a statement of where the industry is and less of a statement about me. You know, like for me, I know, you know, I got eight years at Alabama, 10 years at Florida State, uh, you know, nine years U.S. Army Special Operation Command Consulting, you know, uh, 12 years at IMG, two years at Exos. You know, I found a way to survive, mm-hmm. you know, so uh, and, and I know I'm going to absorb, you know, some of those things. But I think for me, Eric, I think it's a great question. You know, I started with a lot of the traditional elements, affirmation, cybernetics, uh, waves, I uh, listened to every Zig Ziglar, Brian Tracy, mm-hmm. Maxwell Maltz tapes from four years on, four years old on. And uh, my family played them for me when I went to bed, as well as my dad's audio tapes, uh, Your Nature's Greatest Miracle, Unlocking Your Potential, uh, Committed to Quality, because my dad traveled 200 days a year. So uh, instead of missing him, my mom played all his tapes. Mm-hmm. So I had this unique education, and I really understood that negativity – uh, you know, was, was not a place I wanted to spend time. I wasn't allowed to watch the news growing up. No country music. Uh, we really tried to isolate the negativity within our household. Wasn't weirdo. It wasn't like anything super weird. Uh, but it was just, you know, the limitation of negativity. But being positive after bad games, being positive after getting dumped, being positive, you know, in all sorts of different situations was a real challenge for me, uh, until I got sick. You know, I got sick my sophomore year of college, dropped out of school, and then all of a sudden, man, this idea of negative, positive, my mind influencing me, like it—it it was not—it was very real. Mm-hmm. So, and and with sicknesses, you know, you're no sicker the day after diagnosis than you are the day before, mm-hmm. but your mind starts running with you, man, mm-hmm. and that's what it took for me, 19 years being around one of the best teachers in the industry. And it wasn't until I was sick and had to drop out of college that I really gave credence to my mind and the relationship that I could build if I partnered with it. And it wasn't about necessarily positive or negative, but I think the vast majority of people think they're fucked. Mm-hmm. You know, like my mind is what it is. Uh, it, it, you know, I'm a pinball in my life and they've tried being positive. They've tried meditating. They've tried breathing. And it's too hard. So, you know, they go back to, let's just see how it works. And uh, I was no different. Once I got sick, I became a lot different. I realized because of the way I was raised, I was equipped to handle it. I was able to get back to school. I took a year off of sports, finishing strong. And, I've, you know, I've been well developed to handle adversity as well as manage success because of how I was raised. But it didn't happen easily for me. So I give great empathy for 
you know, like a major league pitcher who's like, you know, when's this dude going to shut his fucking mouth? <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I understand that. I don't take that personally. So I'm, I'm curious. You, you, you even hinted at it a little bit. And I, I remember our initial call, you, you dropped a statistic about how watching the, the TV news, I think it was in the morning, negatively impacted in the people in the day that followed. What, what was the, what was the statistic? I can't remember off the top of my head. Well, I think, look, the, ultimately the question was, as I started to expand and advance, mm-hmm. you know, and I have 19 years of signing one year contracts, mm-hmm. whether it's the Jaguars, the Dolphins, um, like, I had, you know, like Coach Saban wanted a message for everybody, mm-hmm. not the 1% of 1%, yeah. you know, um, who, uh, you know, look, you like Adam Grant. I think he's got a great message. It's mm-hmm. not for everybody. Mm-hmm. And he's really, really fucking smart. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm not. <laughs> and, 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 and so, uh, but what, but what I am is, is I've seen a lot and I've seen a lot of the things that work. And, you know, a giver and a taker, uh, won't resonate at Alabama. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't. So, uh, you know, I think, I think when you, when we started thinking of the message, like, okay, if you have a couple hours a week or an hour a week or 30 minutes a week to deliver something around the mind and it's got to be for all 85 guys, what makes sense? And what we found out unequivocally was that negativity worked negatively. You know, somewhere between 83 and 100 percent of the time from the Mayo Clinic, Harvard, Georgetown, there's nobody that can deny that and that all the information around being positive or meditating or being mindful or all those things was anecdotal, mm-hmm. particularly positive, positive thinking. And so as we started to study that and Coach Saban really kind of commissioned me to do more, um, I found out that negativity is carried most powerfully by language, not in inner thoughts, but outer language. And it, when you say something out loud, good or bad, it's 10 times more powerful than when you think it. And if it's negative, it's a multiple of four to seven times more powerful. So when I say negative things out loud, I increase their probability by 40 to 70 times that they'll happen. Doesn't mean they'll happen, but I'm increasing their probability. Mm-hmm. So my externalization becomes very powerful. Secondarily, to go back to your original question, when I consume negativity, three minutes of cable news before 9 a.m. increases your probability by 27% that after eight o'clock, you'll say you had a shitty day. <laughs> three minutes of cable news. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's especially, especially timely in light of today's events, right? <laughs> well, and especially, you know, especially yeah. timely. So uh, country music, the consumption of negativity, our conversations, what we're watching, what we're listening to, you know, what we're saying, all of those things aren't hard to change. Mm-hmm. They're just discipline, their behaviors. Now, where I think the industry, in my opinion, Eric, has failed is it starts with baseball players. It starts with football players. It starts with business people. It starts with military operators at trying to regulate breathing, trying to be positive, trying to change your inner thoughts, which is absolutely the hardest thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it do, it's, it's not as powerful and it's nowhere near in your control. Mm-hmm. Now, if you master the fundamentals of thinking and the basics and then you add – you know, the ability to meditate, regulate your breathing, eidetic imagery, visualization, 
um, uh, affirmations, you know, kind of like organic chemistry. Mm-hmm. Well, then you've earned the right to do that. And there's athletes that, you know, by our second year, we're doing that. Uh, or, or, uh, but you know, I was with Fred Taylor, the running back for nine years. We, we never ever got to any of that. You know, and, and he's going to be a Hall of Famer, mm-hmm. you know, just by coming in the building at 630 in the morning and doing an ice bath at the end of the day and staying on top of good behavior. You made a uh, comment. So the book, it's called it's, It Takes What It Takes, and it was outstanding. To be honest, I bought the audio book while we were still on the call because your, your message was resounding and it, it, it lived up to it. And my favorite quote in the book, you, you said, the first step from negative to neutral is elimination. Um, the last thing was compelling. You talked about it with respect to, you know, even using the example of people cleaning up their diet. Like the, the first thing is get the crappy food out of the house, right? Let's start right. with elimination because we know that's a negative outcome that's waiting to happen. So let's cover some examples. And you even hinted at a few of how can athletes apply this, right? If we're talking about a 16 year old baseball player or, you know, a, a major leaguer that's listening to this call, what's, what's, what are the first places that's, what are the low hanging fruits with respect to eliminating negativity from their world? Yeah. So that's a great question. And, I think exactly why we wrote the book to try to affect, you know, a, a broader audience. Uh, I, I think the first thing is what you say out loud. And, and if I'm a baseball player and I say, well, you know, when I strike out or I'm 0 for 3 and I come in and I, you know, I, I, I take my bat and I fucking hit a bunch of stuff. I start throwing it. I yell. Like, uh, isn't it OK if I vent? There's no science that says venting's good for you. So by externalizing what you don't want to have happen, what's currently happening, how pissed off you are, you're following the statistics of increasing the probability that the rest of the game will go that way by 40 to 70 times. You could still do it and you could still end up turning it around, but now you're not only competing against you know, a six, uh, a 16 year old pitcher at perfect game, but you know, you're competing against your own stupid language. Um, you know, that's not helping you. So the first thing is, is if that you believe the data, which is very clear that saying negative things out loud predicts and perpetuates your next set of behaviors, then the first step is stop saying stupid shit out loud (laughs) and i'm not telling you to say positive things Mm -hmm. so the idea is the process of elimination gets you closer to where you want to be as opposed to trying to add things while you're still doing the wrong things so you know if i eat a bag of doritos then i eat another one eating two apples isn't the answer eating only half of the second bag is the starting point I love that. So uh, in, in the book, uh, you know, the title is It Takes What It Takes and with good reason. It's a theme that, that's reiterated throughout. And in one portion, you commented on how you, as an athlete, you don't really have that many choices because it takes what it takes. And obviously, like Russell Wilson is the, the example you probably use the most. And you, you talk about the great lengths that he's gone to, to to basically make sure success happens for him, right? He he makes crazy dedication and he does what it takes. Um how do we reconcile this with knowing that a lot of 
uh, athletes give even better effort when we as coaches give them input on the process. So in other words, like I think the assumption is like there, there aren't that many choices, but at the same time, we want to get them involved. Are those, are those hard things to reconcile to give them an ownership role in the process instead of just saying, these are the, these are the mandates that you have to follow. Well, you know, first of all, I mean, I think you and I both know that there's, there's no have tos. Yeah. No. And, and, and becoming a player, um, is, you know, I mean, really it's, it's, look, I believe average people become average through average behavior, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and it literally is, all right, man, if I, if, look, the average married couple in 2016 communicated 27 minutes a week directly, you're not going to have a good marriage talking 27 minutes a week, mm-hmm. you know, so if having a good marriage is important to me, then I've got to decide if I want to do the things that you do to make a marriage good. You know, not just falling in love and being passionate, but making time to spend together from 6 a.m. to 6.30 like Coach Saban does where they watch the weather and eat little Debbies. <laughs> you know, and that 30 minutes aggregates to 210 minutes over the course of a week, you know, uh, which is a big deal. So um, first of all, I think, Eric, we have to understand influence. Who has it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, the science of influence as we've studied it is – uh, my influence, what I tell myself and what I say to myself is 10 times more powerful than what my coach says to me or my parents say, says to me. So do they have influence? Of course they do. Like a commercial can make you buy tennis shoes. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, um, your desire to buy the tennis shoes while you want them is a lot more important than maybe the suggestion of buying them. So, how much can you really influence a player? If a player, you know, you're with the New York Yankees now. If you take a look at Aaron Judge, you know, uh, in the family he was raised in, um, the, like, there's only so much they can do for him. Uh, you know, 90% of the power is going to be him. 10% is going to be with the family. That's why you see so many people who had every break and don't make it and guys sitting in a room that had none of the breaks and they make it. Mm-hmm. So first of all, if I'm an individual athlete, I'm going to be more influential than anybody else. However, a, a, a coach to me is like um, a digital speed limit sign on top of the speed limit. You give them the speed limit. If you want to do this, this is the framework. Objectively, mm-hmm. I didn't make it up. This is what it is. And um, I can I can give you suggestions on how to stay on course Hey, you're going 70. You need to be going 75. Or hey, you're going 90. You need to be going 65. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're going to make that decision for yourself. I think where we can really help is by providing for them what good looks like. Um, you know what, and and trying to f- show them what good looks like is much more powerful than telling them what not to do. Because the negativity being 70 times more powerful is going to take them down the bad road as opposed to this is the better road. And if you're not doing that now, just do one more thing right and aggregate the marginal gains. Absolutely. And, and, and so you do have influence as a coach. You do have influence as a parent. Uh, I was a high school teacher for four years. You do have influence. Uh, and I think your influence is showing them what good looks like, um, helping uh, hold them accountable 
if they're, you know, if they're in your program, these are our guidelines, uh, but also respect their right to be dumbasses and go down the road they go. And, and I think less emotion and more like, Hey, this is what it takes. I'm sorry. You're not doing that. So, so one question I did have for you was we talked about like the, the best step from negative to neutral is elimination. And, um, we also talked about just this, you know, this perception of, you know, don't talk about it, right? Keep the, the negative thoughts from becoming words. I'm, I'm curious, what do you do when you, when you have a coach, right? So there are going to be young athletes that are listening to this who, who didn't get to pick their coach, right? And they have, you know, the Debbie Downer coach that's always, you know, in their ear and feeding negativity. And we, we've all had those people. What's, what's the, what's the approach for somebody to, to handle that if it's, if it's a circumstance they can't necessarily control who is their coach? Right. You know, I, I've, I've worked for some really tough coaches mm-hmm. and some intense coaches. And this is what I would say, like learning how to become a neutral thinker, like you just can't not be negative. You have to be something is the idea that, um, is taking the judgment out. Like where positive thinking fails people is it requires too quick for people to change states. It's almost like you're going backwards and requires you automatically to go forwards. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, You've played seven bad games in a row. You're moved down from major leagues to AAA to AA. And that's real. So positives like, hey, let that go. Just start getting your mind back on what it was like. No, no. Like neutral is like, hey, I'm not where I want to be. I get it. Or I am where I want to be. I get it. What's the truth? Okay. And I accept it. Okay. But where, where people who are negative and call themselves realists are is they stay in that negative truth and they predict and do the same things they were doing so their future looks exactly like their present and their past. What neutral says is while it is real, what I do is going to change my future, not how I feel or what happened. And it's like a car going back and just stopping first and saying, all right. What, what's happening right now? I've got four interceptions. I, I'm failing two classes. Uh, I, I just lost two relationships in a row. Like, what's the truth? Take the judgment out. And, and, and then what can, what can I do, you know, to, to make the next step different and focus on behavior, not outcomes? Because if I'm down 25 points or I'm in double A, focusing on the major leagues isn't the right step. Focusing on the next at bat. The next batting practice, the next conversation, you know, is the way I think to deal with that. So I, I think ultimately um, this idea um, uh, going to the next part is when we're coached or we're parented uh, or we're taught by people who behave a certain way, the best thing is to go to the truth about those people as well. Hey, man, this guy's an asshole. And, <laughs> and that's what it is. You know, I had one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL who had a, a two years playing poorly and he played for a real hard coach and we had a long conversation and he was telling me, you know, this guy does this and he doesn't like me and he doesn't. And, you know, so I went back and I found uh, a, a series of seven different press conferences where all the things he was saying about this player, he was saying about seven other players on his team. And he said, I had no idea he talked about them the way he talks about me. I said, because it's not about you, that's who he is. That's how he coaches. That's how he teaches. And you're being emotional where it's okay to give emotion, 
but not be emotional. And you need to accept who this guy is. This is where you're at. You're not getting traded and put your mind. You can only think about one thing at a time. It's called the law of substitution. Get your mind focusing on your next at bat, your next play and accept him or her for who they are. And, and you don't have the ability to change them. Talking about him's not helping you. Take the judgment out. This is the hand I'm dealt. I can make it work. And one of the guys that you talked about in the book it was a guy who clearly made it work for a long time. So Vince Carter actually just retired after 22 years in the NBA. And, and you, had, yeah. you had an opportunity to, to work with him. And I, I think it's a great time to dig in on it. Like 22 years is a big deal in any sport, but particularly the NBA, right? There's, there's not that kind of lifespan, you know, for, for guys, you know, nowadays. So what did you see in him that, that contributed to that longevity? What are, what were the sacrifices he made to, to play that long? Well, you know, I got to spend one season with the Memphis Grizzlies. Chris Wallace, the GM at the, uh, uh, the GM at the time was a big Alabama football fan, loved Saban, kind of wanted to see if you could integrate some of the psychological things we were doing there in basketball. Yeah, I still don't, I still don't know in basketball. Um, you know, it, it's different sport. Um, but you know, I got to spend probably 30, 35 days with that organization and got to spend, you know, a, a good amount of time with a lot of the players and, and build good relationships. I had met Vince before he'd been down to IMG. Uh, you know, just a good dude and a big college football fan. And the guys knew that that was really the world that I'd come from, even though I was a college basketball player. Um, and so we had a lot of just conversations about a variety of things. And, you know, I got the guys tickets for like Alabama, Ole Miss and, and, uh, sideline and all that stuff. And, and, uh, Mike Conley as well. I knew Mike Conley's dad, the triple jumper, um, who was also, uh, Darren McFadden's agent. And, uh, so, uh, you know, just in, in having a conversation with, uh, Vince, just like having a conversation with Michael Johnson or having a conversation with, you know, uh, you know, somebody, um, like a, uh, you know, Chris Ferris, a command sergeant major, uh, U.S. Army Special Operation Command, you could tell, man, like right when you meet him, like whatever that guy did or whatever that woman would do, they're going to be successful. Vince was one of those people. And we had a situation at one of the schools I worked at where three players were arrested in eight hours. And I was getting ready to drive over there and, and I just pre-scheduled a trip on that Sunday, Monday. And, and we had a conversation. He's like, man, you know, how many of those guys want to play pro ball? So probably truthfully six or seven out of 10. And said, isn't it crazy that they think that they can behave any way they want, regardless of their aptitude and still play professional football? I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, I gave up, you know, doing what I wanted to do years ago. And, and I said, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, you know, I, like if I dunk in a game, I can't get back as fast at 38 years old. So, you know, I'm strategic about when I dunk, um, you know, what time I go to bed. Um, I, I don't eat fast food, um, you know, hyperbaric chambers. Uh, I lift the days of games. My choices are made for me because I'm trying to play at 38. So I said, well, like choice is an illusion. He said, yeah. And he said, because it takes what it takes. You either do it or you don't. I want to continue to play. Fortunately, I have the ability. Um, I could do all these things and not make it, but I have the talent combined with the behavior to still play at 38 years old. If I went away from that, which there'd be nothing wrong with that, 
I just wouldn't be able to play at 38. And so, you know, when I went and talked to our team, uh, it was a big thing we talked about, like, look, don't make this about your coach. Don't make this about your mom. Don't make this about the league. Like these rules are predetermined. And, 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 and so they're objective, which means you do them or you don't. And if you're Tiger Woods and you don't do the things that great golfers do, you're not going to be a great golfer. You know, and if you're Tiger Woods with your aptitude and do those things, you're going to be legendary. You know, Russell Wilson is a great example because he's, you know, five nine and, and, uh, you know, and he's an aggregation of such great behavior. Plus he obviously has good build, uh, you know, good anthropometrics, big hands, some other elements, but you know, there were not five, nine quarterbacks, uh, playing in his league outside of Breeze and Russell and Breeze were 11 years apart. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so I think the more you stop competing with your choices, Eric, um, and then just look at it. I mean, and I think it relates to this health thing. You know, I think to the degree that you can control your environment, wear your mask, social distance, do the things that we know, uh, are true you're going to have a better chance of being healthy. And if you don't, you're, you're rolling the dice. And I think a lot of people with their career, um, you know what? I'm going to go to bed at four in the morning. You know, like there's nothing wrong with going to bed at four in the morning. If you can compete to the standard, once you walk in the building at eight, that's a great point. And you know, I'm actually curious you in the book, you talked about the supersize me experiment you ran. It was, it was obviously not the same type, but it was something in that same vein. Tell, tell us about it and, and how it unfolded. I thought that was fascinating, that chapter. Yeah. You know, I was going through a, like, um, you know, I've developed a lot of really good relationships with just friends in the special operations community. Two or three of them are, are, are in sort of that best friend group of mine. And I love learning from them. They love learning from us. I go spend time with them. They come spend time with us, you know, and I have some of the dissociative disconnection issues that probably aren't great. Mm-hmm. Um, they allow me to compartmentalize and do what I do, but they also, you know, costed me uh, a marriage, not from behavior, but from disconnection. And, um, you know, uh, uh, I was going through the divorce. I was going through probably three or four significant challenges and I had, had a conversation with one of my buddies who was a breacher. We were in San Francisco, uh, going to an event that Ryan Neese was running, uh, in the venture capital space. And, uh, I was just kind of downloading on everything that was going on. And this was the first time we had a chance to catch up. And then we were kind of talking about the fundamentals of thinking, you know, is, is it the externalization of negativity versus, you know, uh, stopping doing that versus, uh, the consumption of negativity? And he said, you know, well, why don't you try while you're going through the biggest challenge in your life to consume negativity at a, at a high level, almost like a, a hostage experience, experience and see if your language by not saying negative things out loud, you know, and, and other elements can combat your consumption of negativity. Um, so it was, it was myself using at a difficult time, uh, myself as a lab rat, believing that, you know, I could, I could, I could outmaneuver the consumption of negativity by managing my language, you know, and I did like four hours a day of, uh, you know, a, a, a news station I hated, Megadeth, <laughs> Anthrax, uh, new country music, all these things, 
uh, and, and the goal is to do it for 31 days and, um, and then just live my life. And, you know, by the 20th day, um, you know, I was, you know, had all, all sorts of, uh, 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 psychosomatic, uh, psychogenic characteristics of depression. I could only see backwards. Uh, we charted, you know, all the music I listened to on, uh, Pandora as well as we used my text messages as sort of the basis, uh, to evaluate, uh, my mood changes. So, so we have a lot of parents and coaches who listen to this podcast so that they can, you know, help their kids and, and those that they coach. And, uh, there's a, there's an old converse line, I think it was, that said champions aren't born, they're made. Um, you reflected that champions might actually be born and then unmade. Um, we even hinted at this a little bit when you talked about the 90-10, but what are the common pitfalls our society is making with kids and, and particularly in the athletic arena? And I'm, and I'm actually really intrigued about it. Like in, I know you have experience with high level tennis and I mean, in the tennis world, like the crazy parents are on another level. They, they blow baseball, football, basketball out of the water combined. Um, where do you think, you know, parents are, are making mistakes with, with managing young athletes? Well, You know, I, I think mistakes is the wrong way to look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had incredible empathy, and and I was interviewed multiple times when Lori Laughlin, you know, and I had uh, some good friends at UCLA that lost their jobs, you know, with you know the parents buying the scholarships or buying preferential treatment into different schools. Obviously, at IMG Academy, I was there for twelve years. You know, I think it's almost $75,000 a year now. Um, so it wasn't helicopter parents as much as commando Apache <laughs> you know, super helicopter parents. And I think the truth for many families is the success of your son or daughter um, really reflects uh, socially on who you are. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a reality. Uh, and I don't think it's true. But I think that for many parents, the better their son or daughter does is a reflection of their chromosomes. And when you just look at the science of influence, it's just not that way. You know, their success, you had nowhere near as much connection as you think you did. And if they fail, you had nowhere uh, as much blame as you think you did. I mean, my influence over my dad's is 10 to 1. Like, that's it. Now, I can... You know, I can beat kids up. I can yell at them. I can take away the joy, you know, and I can do things to really contribute to that. Um, you know, or I can, you know, be hyper supportive and make them feel, you, you know, um, like, uh, the, the more success they have as a baseball player, the more I love them. And then, you know, I've developed a conditional relationship as opposed to an unconditional relationship. And, uh, you know, have I seen a lot of dumb, uh, asshole, dickhead parents? Of course I have, you know, but I've seen tons of kids, Eric, truthfully, overcome them. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've seen some of the most incredible, nurturing, supportive, unconditional parents um, that have done everything. And I've seen, you know, the kids, you know, rebel and go the opposite direction as well. Um, what I would say is parents have to understand the science of influence. And, and, you know, I have so many times parents would say, you know, John isn't motivated to play baseball, you know, and, and, and motivation is motive and action. It's, you know, what I want 
combined with the action that's going to get me there. And, you know, I said, well, what does John want to do? Just wants to play Halo. And then, well, you know, he is motivated, really, to play Halo, right? <laughs> you, you know, so, so much of it comes with, uh, the person's, uh, values, what's important to them, uh, lining up with their goals. And one of the things that we would do early on, and my dad did with me at a really young age is, you know, what are the things that you want? You know, like, what do you want? And then, um, and then it was like, okay. And then he said, um, like, and then what do you value? I value success. I value hard work. I value God. I value family. Um, you know, I value, uh, fulfillment. And then if my goals are, you know, uh, getting a college scholarship, um, developing a great relationship with a girlfriend, doing well academically, you know, uh, if, if my values and my goals line up, I'm, uh, on the path to being successful. So we would do these exercises when I was young with, uh, with really understanding what my values were. And I think that that was, uh, mission critical because if my goals lined up with my values, then all I had to do was get behaviors that were going to action steps that were going to get me there. The problem I think with a lot of kids is, they don't, their values, you know, like if you say, well, what are your goals? I want a college scholarship. Um, you know, I want to play perfect game. I want to get drafted. Uh, you know, I want to make money. Okay. Well, what, what do you value? Um, you know, free time, um, success, uh, you know, like things that don't line up with those goals. Yep. So either your values have to change or your goals have to change. I think the best thing we can do, you know, as parents, uh, as you know, coaches, as educators is, is help them understand, you know, how to develop values and then the, the upside of, of having those values, but also respecting the fact that generationally they're growing up with different values. And, and so, you know, uh, you, you can't want it enough for them. Um, and I, you know, my, my dad was tough on me. You know, my dad was a high school coach. And, uh, it was a very successful business. Came back my last two years, worked out the schedule with my, um, with my, my high school coach, cause my dad was the state championship coach and literally coached me the last two years. So I played for my dad, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, I know those expectations, uh, but I loved basketball. I wanted to be good for myself. And, you know, I wanted to play college basketball for me. You know, I knew I could play college soccer at a small school. But I knew college basketball, you know, was going to be a real reach. Uh, and I wanted to do well academically for me, but there were other things that they wanted that I didn't want. Mm-hmm. You know, so, uh, that's kind of a long way of, of, but, but if your values and your goals and your behavior don't line up, then you got to change one or, or two of those things. And, and we, we move towards the things we hold uppermost in our mind. And that's why the process of elimination is so powerful. If you can help kids understand that maybe one of the things that they're currently doing isn't good for them or not going to get them really where they want to go, then by getting rid of that, they're one step closer to having a better understanding of, of what they might want as opposed to telling them what they should want 
while they're still doing all the wrong things. That's what I was just going to say is maybe the best path to good parenting is to just make it harder to be negative. You know, to, to, you know, whether we're talking about the nutrition example where it's like, Hey, you don't buy the foods that make a kid want to eat junk food. You make it harder. I think that was, that was kind of a, a chip and Dan Heath line was you're, you're not necessarily going to change the person, but you can change the situation. Um, so it's, there's something to be said for, for setting them up for avoiding negativity before. And you I think, yeah, you know, Eric, and I think if they get in the car and they're complaining or if it's a lot of it's the issue of the kid, you know, uh, don't give their pain a voice, mm-hmm. you know, just, Hey, look, I understand. Uh, you know, when I was playing college basketball, I'd call my dad back and say, God, you know, coach Newhall is killing me today. Uh, every time I got the ball up, I, you know, I was looking at, you know, and you know, my dad would, would say, you know, Trev, you, you want to play college basketball, you know, he's tough. Um, you know, and, and we'd have a conversation about it, uh, you know, as opposed to him judging me, um, you know, or, you know, well, you know, are you making a good entry pass? Are you bouncing it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this and that. No, I wasn't doing that. And then we we're kind of going to a neutral place, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I, I just, you know, coming from uh, being first generation money, uh, I, you know, I grew up at a, a great private school, great private college. Uh, you know, I belonged to a country club. Like I get the whole pressure with parents. And then I also get the other side of the families that, you know, don't have anything and they're really leaning on that son or daughter to make it. I've seen tons of those stories as well. And, you know, going all the way back to Freddie Adu, you know, and, 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 and so, um, you know, can you help them aggregate behaviors and can you praise, uh, out, uh, 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 process, you know, as opposed to, um, uh, outcomes. I think that's, I think that's where, Hey, you know, look from, from, from my perspective, I liked how you played. You know, I know it may not show up on the stat sheet, but I liked how you played. Or, hey, you know what? I know you scored 17, um, but, uh, y- you know, I feel like defensively, if they want that conversation, if you start having those conversations with your kids, I mean, there's only so many things they're going to listen to you about. Mm-hmm. And, and if you try to, 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 to be a master of everything, um, you know, then, and, and you're not, lo- helping them understand that you love them unconditionally you're you're going down a really slim slope and that's you know more from what i saw at 12 years you know uh, and that's also seeing like you know some of the best athletes in the world like yvonne lendl and peter corda uh you know parent their kids uh in addition to somebody that's going to spend four hundred thousand dollars to get their kid a book scholarship for soccer to duke so you know they can tell their friends in Long Island that, you know, Sarah's got a scholarship and playing soccer at Duke. Mm-hmm. Like that means something. You can say what you want. You can judge those parents. That means something, but it comes many times at the price of the kid. No doubt about it. You know, and, and what I really liked about the book is that you, you speak to your work across multiple sports. Obviously your relationship with, with Russell Wilson is, you know, to some degree the foundation of the book and he wrote the foreword and it's, it's probably the most compelling example. But what was cool is that it, it also, you know, there were examples in basketball, there were examples in soccer, tennis, baseball, et cetera. And I'm, I'm curious, have you found that there are principles that are universal across all sport disciplines, like things that carry over to every sport? And then also are there approaches you've taken in one sport that have great results only to see it really fail miserably in, other, in another realm? You know, is it male, female? Are, are there things that work in some, but not in the other? 
the male female is probably where the biggest difference comes mm -hmm. because I, I think just when you go back to a lot of what we did at Boletary, which is we did a lot of non-perspective uh, videotaping where the camera would just follow the athlete for 20, 25 minutes across any sport and we let them come in and see what a coach sees. And that was really powerful from the best athletes to, to everybody. But for women, they many times they couldn't get beyond their body image so they couldn't really follow their actual behavior uh, of what they're doing when they have the ball or when they don't. I think body image, uh, self-image, in my experience, uh, you know, how you communicate, uh, really building a good foundation of uh, respect is probably more powerful in the women's sports than the men's sports. And I think that works in, in business uh, uh, and in life. Uh, but but I, I think the way I've tried to teach Eric truthfully mm -hmm. is really focus on the fundamentals of thinking um, uh, across all sports. And I don't think they're that much different. I don't really get – like once we've built a baseline, then we get more situational, mm -hmm. you know, where you can have a conversation – you know, uh, and, and it can be more this game, this moment, this pitcher, uh, this coach, this NCAA tournament game, this AAU game, this Olympic development game. But until you get there, it's more about your, you know, your language, putting a plan in place, how your behaviors match up with good performers in your sport, uh, on field, off field, off court, on court. You know, and I think the aggregate of good behaviors is way more similar than dissimilar. And I, and, and I'm encouraged people in your, in your podcast because I know you're well followed. Um, you know, I was watching this, uh, uh, days and confused and you gotta be over 35 probably to know the movie. There you go. <laughs> uh, but it's, you know, it's Matthew McConaughey who's, mm -hmm. who's still highly relevant, I think mm -hmm. to this generation. And, uh, and you know, and I'm like, like that was 26, 25 years ago. And this dude's still here and going strong. And he was making $300 a week back in that movie. Like, how is this guy still here? Mm -hmm. Cause I'd have never guessed at 23 he would. And, you know, he had this really interesting evolution in his career. You know, I tracked down major Applewhite and some people cause there, there's not a lot of places where you can find him speaking about his philosophy. Um, you know, uh, he just, He's not somebody out there preaching and, uh, and, uh, unless you're a Texas athlete uh, from the University of Texas. And I found a graduation speech, uh, Eric, mm -hmm. where he speaks to the University of Houston and, uh, where his grandfather played football. And, um, at the time, um, uh, it wasn't Major Applewhite, uh, who's ever at, uh, uh, Texas football now, uh, was coaching and, and uh, he spoke to the 4,000 students graduating from Houston, um, and he broke down his philosophy on life into 13 steps. And it sounds no different than Bill Gates, no different than Russell Wilson, no different than Joe Girardi. You know, no, I mean, the best people, he aggregated the same behaviors. He said it all differently, but it was all the same things. And I listened to it like 10 times. It's like 45 minutes on YouTube and it just, it tells you that success leaves clues 
across disciplines. And so does failure. And, and so I think, uh, I've never seen myself. I'm not a sports fan. I watch way more HGTV than ESPN. Obviously I love watching Russ play. You know, I love watching Alabama, Georgia, Michigan State, whatever. Uh, uh, Clint Mathis, Freddie Adu, uh, Xavier Melise, Tommy Haas, Serena Williams. I mean, all the different athletes, but I've spent just as much time, truth be told, with high school teams. I was a high school coach for four years. Uh, I take great pride in the under 15 B girls team. I talk about them in the book. I think the big time is where you are. Um, you know, I'm probably more known. Why did I get into college football? That's where the money is. And I got, you know, I got with Nick Saban. And then when coaches would leave his program, uh, they didn't know who else to find. So I was one of a handful of people kind of part of that architecture. I don't even know if it's because I'm good, but because they were familiar. So, so, you know, but I think that's the point, uh, to me, uh, you know, Eric is, um, uh, like just getting a really good framework and a really good understanding for what makes you good at anything. And I think it's going to relate across sports. And my last point is if you're good enough, you're old enough. You know, kids don't have to be yeah. uh, uh, seniors in high school to do this shit right. Yeah. You know, uh, I've seen a lot of kids at 11, 12, 13 years old, you know, that, 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 that they want it. They know what to do. They know they've got physiological limitations, but they're doing things right. So when the physical limitations change, uh, they're ready to rock and roll. Oh, this is this is awesome stuff, Trevor. Uh, you've got some outstanding stuff online, uh, both Instagram and Twitter. It's Trevor Maud, T R E V O R M O A W A D. Um, constant stream of good content. Um, you curate some content. You put out your own good stuff too. And then the book. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna sing your praises. Uh, it's it's outstanding. Um, it's called It Takes What It Takes: How to Think Neutrally and Gain Control of Your Life. Um, I hit it as an audio book on Audible. It was a great listen um, on my ride from uh, from Florida back to Massachusetts, and and honestly banged it out in a matter of a day or two. So um, easy read, right? Yeah, I mean, even easier listen, right? <laughs> it's an e- easy listen, three yeah. and a half hours. Um, you know, Eric, it's a, it's a huge, uh, you know, obviously your success speaks for itself, you know, not just obviously down on the coast of Florida, but where you're at, obviously now excited for you and your opportunity with the New York Yankees. Uh, glad Chad connected us. Um, you know, and, and I think you understand what's going to allow you to be successful in the biggest and best organization in all of sports is doing the things that have allowed you to be successful. Um, you know, and getting, getting more guys. You know, at the end of the day, if you're a coach, you know, you're never going to have a majority a lot of times. It's a, it's pluralities. It's just building consensus, respect people's right to be average, and then also, uh, go on the journey with those that are, that are trying to be great. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, give them a chance to be successful. And, and, uh, uh, it takes what it takes is kind of my first foray uh, out of sort of this hidden world of sports and, and more. The broader goal, I know for Russell and myself, um, our business limitless minds is how can we demystify thinking? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and, and, and fuck sports for making it all about meditating and breathing. <laughs> you know, like I, it, it's so disappointing and it, it frustrates me because I, you know, I'm not a big presence in that world and I get the value of it, but we need to start with not saying stupid things. We need to start with not watching or hanging out with 
people that we can avoid. Uh, we need to start with uh, not, you know, not putting ourselves where we're listening to the wrong people and we're giving pain too much of a voice. We need to get that stuff right. And when we get that stuff right, then we can evolve to breathing and we can evolve to changing from the inside out and meditating and imprinting. All of those things have a place, but let's do simple better first. No doubt about it. Well, the, the book is outstanding. The social media is awesome. And folks can find you. It's moagconsultinggroup.com if they're interested yep. to learn about some of the services you offer. But uh, Trevor, can't thank you enough. So I uh, really appreciate you taking the time and, and hopefully we'll get to do it again soon. Eric, best of luck. It's a privilege and a great opportunity. Go Yankees. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read on iTunes. We welcome your suggestions for future guests and questions. Just email EliteBaseballPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next episode.